0: Um, We're so appreciative of every time that we're able to to really contribute to the glory of God and so it's it's a blessing to see that. Um, Good morning. morning. Happy Sabbath. (laughs) I I, want to turn your attention to something in the bulletin that's brand new. Uh, Maybe you saw the white little insert there and um, look at this. This is a sermon outline Alright, now I I noticed my wife, I'm so thankful for godly wives, amen, but um, my wife pointed out to me, she said, you know, several times now you've said, if you're in the habit of taking notes, go ahead and write this down, and there's nothing to write on, and so I figured, you know what, I should probably start doing something about that. So, uh, we're, we're starting a new series, or we started it last week, Discipleship 101, and uh, we had a little bit of a group exercise, kind of simulated a classroom. And this is, I guess you could just consider, this is part of that classroom environment. Alright, so here's your little handout for the day. I cannot promise that this will be a weekly habit, but I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Um, you know what, here's, a, here's another pastor's confession. This is actually my attempt to tighten my sermon length a little bit and just to kind of keep me going along. So you guys have been so gracious to let me go to like 12.15, 12.20, and I appreciate that, but I really want to respect your time. Um, And and I I realize that some people have to be other places at 12 noon or whatever it is, and so I just wanted to let you know that I'm making an honest attempt. I'm making an (laughs) honest attempt. Now I say that, I say that, um, you know, I say that with a little, there's there's another side to that coin, because the reality is that this is the word of God, you know, and um, I'm aware that there are churches in other countries in which Christianity is not acceptable. The religion of the Bible is not acceptable, and there are underground churches that meet at risk of their lives to gather around the word, and when they are hearing the word, they can't, they can't get enough. And so, I I say that, you know, I'm trying to tighten the length of our sermons, but on the other hand, I realize that when we're gathered around the Word of God, it's precious time. It's precious time. And so, um, I guess, yeah, just take both sides of the coin, and and we'll work with it. Discipleship 101, the discipline of the Word. If you were here last week, we began this series, and we looked at the, the picture of Jesus calling the disciples, and we realized, wait a minute, when it comes to understanding what a disciple really is, uh, that picture in Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22 that we looked at last week, that picture isn't very descriptive in terms of concrete, actual practices. Now, I've been to other countries in which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the noticeable foreigner, and even though I'm Filipino by origin, uh, the reality is that I'm more American than I am Filipino. And there are certain things about Americans that others, when they see it, they know that person's an American. Whether it's the way they talk, the way they carry themselves, I don't know, has anybody else resonated with that, experienced that? Yeah. And so there are certain things that you just know that this individual is of this origin or that. Now, that can get you into dangerous situations where you actually misjudge things, but that's not where I'm going. The reality is this, that there are certain things about us that tell us Or give off or communicate who we are but now this month we're asking the question what are those things what are those trademarks that give hint or evidence to the fact that you and i are disciples of jesus christ so discipleship 101 what are those disciplines what are those practices that's what we're looking at last week it was the discipline of the does anybody remember of the wilderness discipline of the wilderness So, being a follower of Jesus is doing what he did and living what he taught. And we looked at this, we began to look at Matthew chapter 4, and we saw that Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness, time alone with just him and God. Now, I'm curious, uh, how many of us have actually been able to seek times of the wilderness this week? Yeah? Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! I I heard from some of you that it's been a blessing that you've been finding your own patch of wilderness throughout the week, and that's awesome. That's awesome. I tell you what, that's something that, that Jesus often did, and it's something that his followers need day by day. So that was last week, the discipline of the wilderness. This week, the discipline of the word. Let's bow our heads for prayer. God, we need you every hour. And we need your word, because your word is life to us. And so we ask that in this moment, in this precious time that we have together, would you please lead us by the power of your Spirit? Would you please guide us into all truth? And may the words that we read, may the the things that we hear, may they be of origin from your Holy Spirit. Please teach us today, not just for head knowledge, but for life transformation. That's what we seek. In Jesus' powerful name, let everyone say, Amen. 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 We're going to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to Matthew chapter 4. It was read for us in our scripture reading. And I want us just to kind of read through it one more time. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. When you're there, say Amen. 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 So here we are, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 Beginning in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, New King James says, afterward, he was hungry. And I would, I would guesstimate that that's an underestimate. <laughs> that's an understatement. After 40 days, I realized that today is uh, 40 days of 2013, I think it is. We're, we're 40 days into 2013. Now, do you remember where you were, New Year's Day? That, that was kind of a long time ago. Jesus was fasting in the wilderness for that long. Alright, so yes, he was hungry, to put it lightly. Verse 3, now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, what are the next three words? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Oh, now the devil's saying it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, It is written again. Or in other versions it says, It is written also, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, verse eight, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Here is folly of all follies. The creature demanding the creator to worship him. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, away with you. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Let, let, Let me read that again. Jesus said to the devil, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, there it is again, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. Amen. 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 Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Oh, this is a powerful story. We're just, just, just picturing it. Now just to rewind the tape a little bit, right? this is, this is at the end of his fasting but 40 days earlier, do you remember where Jesus was? At the River Jordan, right? Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he's being baptized by John the Baptist. And as he's coming up out of those waters, do you remember the voice that came from heaven? It says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now this is huge. I want us just to stop just a little bit here. Because God did not say, hey bud, I'm proud of you. God did not say, you're a chip off the old block. God did not say this or that. He he didn't just give a warm fuzzy to Jesus. He said something very particular. He said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, as I studied this this week, I realized that God was actually choosing words that he had said before in the Old Testament. Did you realize this? You are my son is a quotation from Psalm chapter 2. The Jews looked to Psalm chapter 2 as the royal psalm because it talked about the Messiah as a king. You are my son. Today I have begotten you, verse 7 of Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And then the very next verse, ask of me and I will give you the nations for an inheritance. And so the the Jews looked at that and said, oh, we're going to have a Messiah and he's going to have the nations to rule over. So when God said, you are my son, it had this kingly association to it. But then he says, in whom I am well pleased. A quotation from Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 1. And in Isaiah 42 verse 1, God says, behold, my servant, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. Now here's the thing, with Isaiah, there are four servant songs. Four servant prophecies. Isaiah 42 is one of them. Isaiah 53 is another one. Do you know what's in Isaiah 53? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now wait a minute. God's voice combines these two and says, you are my kingly son, my servant who will suffer and whom I'm well pleased. So God is giving a very complete picture of the Messiah. He's going to be a ruler. He's going to be a king of the nations who will walk the way of the cross for the nations. Whoa. So now go to your handout. You can start getting your pen moving. Oh boy, where did mine go? All right, get your hand out. And there in the first line, it says, When Jesus heard the voice from heaven, he was assured of two things. Number one, his connection with heaven as the divine Son. Number two, his commission from heaven as the chosen servant. All right. And now you realize the significance of this. I mean, when Jesus hears this combination, You are my Son, in whom I am well pleased, Son and Servant. Uh, it's, he's, he's picturing not only a crown, he's picturing a cross as well. And so when Jesus hears this, obviously his soul is thrilled. Yes, you know, this is who I am. But at the same time, his soul is very sober. It's heavy on his mind. And so as he walks into the wilderness, led by the Spirit, chapter 4, verse 1 of Matthew says, he's driven by the Spirit. It's heavy on his heart. It's, it's foremost on his thoughts. And you can imagine that it's foremost on the thoughts of his enemy as well. And so now, this next line here on your handout, the devil's assaults against Jesus must therefore be understood as temptations to depart from the will and word of God. Temptations to depart from the will and word of God. So, So really, this declaration of Jesus as son and servant is what's shaping the devil's attacks here. The devil is saying, no, 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 no. You think that's God's will and word? Well, let me, let me cause you to deviate from that. Let me cause you to depart from that. So all of these temptations, yes, there's three of them. There's three temptations there, but it's one goal, to depart from the word and will of God. Do you understand that, yes or no? Yeah? So the temptations, yeah, let, let's, let's recount them. Number one, number two, number three. First temptation, turn stones into bread. Second temptation, throw yourself off the temple Because the angels are supposedly supposed to keep you up, right? Now, just just a little side note, there was actually a Jewish expectation that the Messiah would show up at the temple uh, in a grand entrance sort of way. And so really, the devil was trying to get him to play into that expectation, a show, a demonstration, an exhibit. And then the third temptation, all these nations, I'll give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. Now, really interesting, again, thinking about Psalm 2, you know, you are my son. In Psalm 2, it says, ask of me and I will give you the nations. God was going to give the nations to Jesus as an inheritance. But Satan is saying, I'll just give it to you. You don't have to walk the way of the cross. I'll give it to you. You just bow down and worship me. Lesson, the ends do not justify the means. You understand that the, the ends do not justify the means. God, Jesus was not going to depart from the will of God, and so here it is: temptation number one, temptation number two, temptation number three. And you can take this, start start listing this in your handout. In Matthew four three through eleven, Satan targets Jesus' greatest weakness, greatest strength, and greatest ambition. Do you get those three? Weakness, strength, ambition. Let's think about this a little bit. After 40 days, Jesus, as the Bible says, Jesus was hungry. Naturally so, okay? And when when Satan comes with that first temptation, he says, bread, I know you want it, I know you want it. So, So Satan was targeting Jesus' felt need, his weakness in that moment. In temptation number two, it wasn't so much his weakness that, that Satan was targeting, it was his strength. Jesus had expressed, no, 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 it is written, man does not live, etc., etc.'" He He was trusting in God's will, and Satan takes that as his greatest strength, his trust in God's word, and starts using scripture back at him. Hey, you trust the word of God so much, why don't you trust the word in this way? Yeah. And so he was trying to, to use Jesus' strength against him, And then in temptation number three, uh, ambition. That's what Satan was targeting. He was targeting his ambition. Yes, Jesus came to save the nations. Jesus came to reclaim the nations. That was his whole goal. That was his whole ambition. And Satan says, look, I know you'll do anything to regain the nations, so why not just bow down and worship me? And so he was targeting his greatest goal, his his ambition, as, as a leverage to depart from the plain word of God. Now, this is significant because look, th- these are areas in which we're all tempted. Look, none of us is tempted to, to go make bread out of stones, okay? <laughs> is that, can we be honest enough to say that? Like, none of us is tempted afterwards to go to the, the backyard over here and say, hey, I'm gonna bring bread out of this for potluck. No, <laughs> none of us is tempted to do that. No, but we are tempted in our weakness. What is your weakness? Yeah, it's all different. And Satan knows how to target. Satan's schemes are very specific. But he meets us in our weakness, in our times of greatest weakness. And so, I don't know. Maybe your weakness is food. Maybe your weakness isn't your stomach, but it's your eyes. You know, whatever that weakness is, Satan knows how to target that. But then, on the other hand, When weakness doesn't work, he'll attack our strengths. You know, maybe maybe even spiritual strengths, your spiritual gifts. And he'll attempt to to entice us to use those in such a way that it's for our glory and for our benefit rather than God's glory and others' benefit. Do you see what the devil does? I mean, he's tricky. He's not going to hold back any punches. And then he understands what our greatest dreams are, what our greatest goals are, He knows that we'll do anything for it. And so if we can just attain that, well, the devil will devise means to walk around the word of God. You know, Satan did that with Adam and Eve in the beginning, and he does it with you and me every day. And that's how he targets us, in our weakness, in our strength, in our ambition. And let's be honest, many of us have probably walked into this room today as casualties from from the tempter's fire. Many of us have walked in today bruised and beaten. Uh, We're left on the side of the road just waiting for a rescue, and the reality is that rescue has come. Look, uh, none of us can say I'm I'm victorious when I try to fight sin, right? We talked about the good fight and the bad fight, right? Um, The reality is that all of us, all of us fall short of the glory of God. It's not a one-time have fallen short. It's we fall short again and again. But when we're down, we can still look up to the one who secured victory. Three times over, Jesus walks in our shoes. And every time, he stands strong. He stands strong. I was just reflecting this morning on Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in every point was tempted like as we are, so that, yet, oh, excuse me, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, verse 16 says, that we might find mercy and obtain help in our time of need. Look, many of us may be casualties today, but we have a victor, and his name is Jesus. You can look to Him today. And three times over, the handout says, to these three temptations, Jesus responds in one consistent manner, it is written, it is written, it is written. And right there, I find that Jesus knew the discipline of the Word. That right there, in living color, a perfect demonstration of the discipline of the Word. And that's what we want to spend the rest of our time exploring. What is this discipline then? How would you define it? In three, uh, we'll, we'll look at three defining characteristics. Characteristic number one, priority of the Word. Keep that pen moving. Priority of the Word. Jesus prized the Word of God over and above anything else. Let me ask you a question. How do you know... How how do you know when something is really important to you? You spend a lot of time with it, a time with it? yeah. How about um, it, obviously there are a lot of ways to answer that question. But uh, say it again. It's always, on your mind. it's always on your mind, yeah. How about this one? This is kind of a an around the uh, a roundabout way. How long y- it it only takes you a little bit of time to notice when it's missing. Or, when it is missing, it causes you great pain. Have any of you uh, been without your car keys for a while? You're like, whoa. (laughs) You're turning the house upside down, you're calling people, you're shaking out your pants and things like that. Whatever it is. Um, Maybe a cell phone. How long does it take you to notice that your cell phone is missing? Hey, I haven't felt a buzz lately. What, what? <laughs> you start searching your pockets, you, you lift up the, the couch, kitchens. For me, it's peanut butter. <laughs> you know, every morning, I've got to have peanut butter on my toes. Every morning, peanut butter and bananas, sometimes a little bit of honey on top. But when I'm missing peanut I know I miss it. No. That, how about this one? Um, how about your Bible? How long does it take you to notice? that you've been at without the Word of God? Now, for some of us, this could be a very pointed question because in reality, we miss our TV remote more than we miss the Bible. And you know what? This speaks to me, this speaks to me that some things I have prized more than others. But for Jesus, man does not live by bread alone. And he says this after 40 days. Of fasting. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. For Jesus, the Bible was more precious than food. Job 23 verse 12, it's written there on your handout. Job 23 verse 12, even Job himself knew. He says, I have treasured the words of God's mouth more than my daily bread. Whoa. How often do you eat? (laughs) I eat three times a day maybe more, but, but on, a, on a regular day, it's three times a day. A, and when I miss a meal, I know it. When I miss a meal, my wife knows it. <laughs> She's, she knows I get cranky, the low blood sugar, whatever it is, and I'll do anything to schedule my, not anything, okay, I'll, I'm exaggerating now. But I'll do things to manipulate my schedule in such a way that I am sure that I can get my food when I need my food. But with the Word of God, for some reason, we can do without it. Or can we? And that's the point. We, we need to understand the priority of the Word of God. In reality, you know, this is a value determination. This is something that is really a faith thing. You know, some of us just need to flip the switch in our minds and say, you know what? The Word of God is more important. Some of us may be thinking, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, here's the thing. I didn't say it. Jesus did. (laughs) And may I be so bold to say that I would rather trust Jesus' opinion about things than my own. And so that for me, it it is a faith thing, yes, to, to place priority on the Word of God. But you know what? It's not just placing priority on the Word because we can respect the Word of God, we can value the Word of God, we can even revere the Word of God, yet keep it at arm's length. And that's why we need number two, not just priority of the word, number two, familiarity with the word. Familiarity with the word, immersing ourselves in the word of God. Let me read for you a little bit here. I found an article by uh, a man named Albert Moeller. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary there in Louisville, Kentucky, I think it is. But he wrote this article entitled, The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy. Ooh, the Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy. He says this, Fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. Now, some of this can be comical, but really it's, it's, it's a sobering. A Barna poll indicated that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50%, that's the majority, over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. We are in big trouble. He goes on to say he quotes from George Gallup and Jim Costelli, and they put the problem squarely. And this is a quote of George Gallup and Costelli. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Whew. That's heavy. <laughs> Friends, we don't just need a priority and revere the Bible. We we, we need to value the Bible as more necessary than our food, but that value needs to translate into becoming familiar with the Word of God. Do we read it? Do we immerse ourselves in it? And here I have just two suggestions. First, the first M there is memorization. Memorization. The second one is meditation. Memorization of the Bible and meditation that is biblical. All right, We're not talking about Eastern meditation here. We're talking about biblical uh, meditation. So, memorization, that's, that's really, you know, I don't know how you go about memorizing things. Uh, my wife likes to write songs for things. And, and actually, Jenna, our, our two-going-on-three-year-old daughter, she's like singing scripture songs all the time. And I love it. The thing is, the Word of God is getting into her mind. And that's power. Yeah. <laughs> and so, the thing with, med- with memorization Um, really, the value of it is the time that it takes to memorize. And the more time you spend in the Word of God, the more it actually renews and shapes and transforms your mind. That's the power of it. And really, that goes hand-in-hand with biblical meditation. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, Blessed is the man who delights in the Lord. Uh, Excuse me. Blessed is the man who delights in the Lord, for in his law he does meditate day and night. And so, we're not talking about Eastern meditation. The difference here, Eastern meditation, it's the concept of emptying your mind of all thought. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with God's thought. Okay? And so, really, we're, when, we're, when we're in the Word, we're immersing ourselves in the Word, and we're giving ourselves time to think, time to ponder. And in fact, the Hebrew word for meditation is, here's a little Hebrew lesson for any nerds out there who want to know? Anyway, it's haga. You got to say it with a little bit of a throat uh, spittle. so you, haga. Okay. Um, anyways, the word is sometimes translated. I think it's translated in, in Isaiah to talk about a dove cooing or a lion over his prey. Wow. So we're talking about a sort of pondering that is audible. There, there's a there's a pondering or reflection on scripture that, I mean. You, you've been reading, you've been in a Sabbath school lesson, you've been maybe in a sermon where something hits you and you're like mmm, 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 mmm. You know? And that's what we're talking about with meditation. Biblical meditation is, is, is almost like thinking out loud. Yes, this is good. Right. Yeah. Amen. You know, you're saying, you're reading scripture, whether it's out loud, and you're pondering, reflecting, and it's a conversation between you and God. Okay? And so that's how we immerse ourselves. That's how we become familiar with Scripture. All right, so there's priority of the Word, familiarity with the Word. But then the last one is probably the most key. And it's living by the Word. Living by the Word. Because the reality is, the Word doesn't just stay up here. It's lived out, out there. That's where the rubber meets the road. And so living by the Word, letting the Word of God shape the way we think, Act and live. And here we go. Three steps to taking it from head to life. Three steps. You ready? We're, we're trying to go rapid fire here. Identification, number one. Identification. Number two, interpretation. Sorry, these are like four syllable words here. All right? So identification, interpretation. Last of all, application. Identification, interpretation, application. Application. Let's start from the beginning, identification. When Jesus said it is written, it is written, it is written three times over, do you know that he was quoting each time from either Deuteronomy 8 or Deuteronomy 6? Did you know that? And you got to ask yourself, why was Jesus all about Deuteronomy 6 and 8? Well, maybe it was because this was Deuteronomy was spoken to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness after 40 years. So Jesus was dwelling on scripture that was relevant to his own situation. So when we read scripture, one of the first steps to living it out is finding finding yourself in the story of scripture. Does that make sense? So when you read a passage, understand the story that was there and try to see yourself in that story. Where am I? You know, each morning I have the habit of reading one of the, the stories of the cross from either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And uh, I try to put myself in the story, where am I here? And this morning, it just hit me. Like in John chapter 19, uh, Pilate says, behold your king. And the masses, the mob says, we have no king but Caesar. And when I put myself into that story, and I ask God, have I denied that you are my king today? You know, that's, I mean, that's... Like when you put yourself in this, when you identify with the story, with the passage, that's the first step to actually starting to live it out. Okay, so identification with scripture, but the second one is key too, because it's interpretation of scripture. We don't just identify with anything in scripture and say, oh, that applies to me. Like the man who kept reading verses about Judas, and Judas went out and hung himself. Lord, is that for me today? No. He closed the Bible, and and he he just, Lord, I need to hear a word from you. He opened it up, it was again about Judas. What you do, do quickly. (laughs) Lord, (laughs) no, that's that's improper interpretation, okay? That's improper identification. So when you identify, when you see yourself in the story, it needs controls. It needs certain certain guidelines, and that's where interpretation comes in. In the second temptation, remember, Jesus was, uh, excuse me, the tempter, devil, He was saying, hey, look, this is what scripture says too. Why don't you throw yourself off because the angels are going to hold you up? But he was actually misusing scripture. In fact, he leaves off the last line, in their hands they shall bear you up. He leaves off to keep you in all your ways. He leaves off this idea of walking in the ways of God. That's where God's promise of his protection is. And so, so, Satan was saying, hey, you, can do your, you can do anything you want. It was presumption, not faith. You see, presumption takes God's promises and uses them to excuse sin. Faith takes God's promises and uses them toward obedience. Slight distinction there, but significant. And so, Jesus understood that you needed to correctly interpret Scripture. And so, when it comes to identifying where you are in the Scripture, make sure you understand the context Make sure you give yourself time to interpret and to really see that passage in its immediate context, but also in the context of who God is all around, okay? So, identification number one, interpretation number two, and finally, application. It's saying, okay, now what? You know, many of us are really good at hearing the word, but when it comes to being a doer of the word, that's another story. And, and, and this is actually probably the thing that we're so, so prone to leave off, but application means personalizing it to your specific everyday circumstances. So when you hear the word, ask, ask God the question, okay, so what am I supposed to do with this now? You know what you're expecting for the day. You know what you're maybe planning for the day. And so ask God, is this word supposed to be instructive for my day or is it to be encouraging me in my specific circumstance whatever that is it's asking god and and giving him the green light to apply it to your relationships apply it to your conversations apply it to your decisions for the day whatever it might be so there there's that short three-step bridge from head to life identification interpretation application And so at the end of this message, the real simple question is, what are you going to do about it now? When it comes to the discipline of the word, how many of us want to be like Jesus? How many of us want to be like Job and say, you know what? I'm just going to say by faith that your word is more necessary than even my daily bread. How many of us would be willing to say that? Yeah, praise the Lord. Now, how many of us are actually going to be willing to familiarize ourselves to actually immerse ourselves? You know, I don't know, maybe you want to pick up a weekly habit of just memorizing a verse or a passage each week. And each day you just practice a part of that, or each day you practice that verse over and over, whatever it might be. How many of us want to say, you know what, I'll take steps, I'll take steps to immerse myself in the Word of God, yeah? Amen. Amen. And finally, this last one is, it's It's just a prayer. It's a green light saying, God, take it from the head and live it out in my life. How many of us want to say yes? Please help me live by this. Amen. And so you've got blank lines down at the bottom, my action steps. You may want to think about this uh, this afternoon. Take some time in the personal quiet space that you have. Maybe talk about it over potluck today. What are some action steps? Can you give me some ideas? You know, Talk it over with your brother or sister there. And just ask, what are some ways I can live out The discipline of the Word of God. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father, I thank you for the gift of your Word. Lord, we want to live this out, but we realize that even in this, it's not going to be by grunt work, it's not going to be by might, nor by power, but it's going to be by your Spirit. So, Lord, we want things to change. We, we want the discipline of the word to be a reality in our lives, but we know it's going to be a miracle from you. So we pray for that miracle. Amen. Just as thousands of years ago, you said, let there be light. I know you can speak to us morning by morning, that we would experience light and new life each day. So please bless my friends in this, in this room. Bless the families that are represented here. May we see the power of your word lived out in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen.